You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Scripture now, just to, to center us and prepare us and get us ready for uh, for the message. So today's today's reading is from Galatians chapter two, uh, verses eleven through twenty one. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrew. Well, Life Church has been on quite a journey over the past number of weeks. And uh, we've been trying to look at a lot of things that, that might be options for growing or changing or, or doing things in a more effective way. And all of that requires all of us to look at ourselves and, and, and try to evaluate where we are and what we can do and what we can give to God. Um, and so those, are, those can be turbulent times for all of us. And then um, we, uh, we asked Pastor Dave to just come right in and knock us down with something that tells us that we all got to die um, and, uh, and, and that's important, too, is that we understand that the only way we're going to be able to do the things that God is calling us to do and, and live the life that he is calling us to live is that we allow ourselves to be crucified in, in the process. And so, very timely message last Sunday from Pastor Dave talking about presenting your body as a living sacrifice uh, unto God, which it says in the passage, is your reasonable act of worship. It's not something that's too hard or too outlandish or too outrageous, but it's very much simply what you need to do. And so then from there, I want to sort of build on that, if possible, just a little bit this morning with you and talk about what does that mean so, so we die. Uh, but the Bible comes back here in this passage and says, yet yeah, we live. But it's not us who's living, but it is Christ who is living through us. What a dynamic. That's very, very different than me living for myself. It's very different than just me being alive. It's different than me saying, well, I'm just going to die and I'm going to stay dead. 
All right, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to be responsive in any way, but I'm just, I'm just going to exist or something like that. Because God does not want you and I living a life that isn't productive and isn't effective and isn't moving forward. There's quite a lot of warnings in the Bible about a life like that where we bury our talents and we don't do anything with them. So I think one of the key things that we wrestle with as God's people is that of what is God's will. In particular, what is God's will for me? What do I need to be doing? How do I find out what it is that, that is God's plan for my life? And I think this may be uh, one of the most commonly asked or, or, or the most real uh, questions that comes in the door of mine and Dave's office here at the church. And I think it's certainly true that it is one of the big questions, especially in Western Christianity today. What in the world is God's will for my life? And I think one of the reasons is because we have, we have so many decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis, all right? We have a lot of questions that we ask. Um, there's a lot of things that don't get addressed specifically in the Bible. How many times have you thought, man, God, if you would have just put this specifically in the Bible, I wouldn't have a problem. But now I'm wrestling. I'm trying to find out what it is I need to be doing or what I, how I need to be responding in, in, in some way, okay? Um, so a lot of times what we get is we get a friend who says to us in one way or another, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God's will for my life is. And in some smaller decisions, that, that, that may not be as big a deal. I don't know. But I know that there are a lot of small decisions that, that we make from day to day. And I don't know that we necessarily have to get like a clear word from God about that. You know, what book am I going to read this week? Are for some of you this month, or for a few of you this year. Um, but what, what book am I going to read? You know, I, I don't know that you necessarily have to have a clear picture or a clear word or a clear direction from God on something like that. Um, but there are parenting situations that some of you are going through that, that you would like some clear direction from God. There's, there's other kinds of decisions that, that you might be making uh, with your teenage children, per se, or maybe you have a parent who is, is now in some kind of debilitative state and you have to figure out what to do with them. These, these are the kinds of things that, that, that matter in our lives. I mean, I, I've met some people and, and, and I hope that, that you can get free of this kind of like, uh, I would call it bondage. Uh, but, you know, I had one guy tell me, for instance, hey, uh, I got up this morning and I said, okay, God, what does the day hold? What would you like for me to do? Which pair of shoes would you like for me to wear? And I waited for God to tell me which pair of shoes to wear. And then I asked him about my shirt. And then I asked him you know, who, I sh- who I should try to, to uh, encounter during the day. Who would I call? And, and maybe who would I take to lunch? Or who, should I just wait and, and, and believe that you're going to have someone take me to lunch? Should I get my windshield? This is the truth. I'm not, I'm not making this up. He said to me, should, I asked God, should I get my windshield wiper blades changed today? And he looked at me, paused, he looked at me and I said, well, are they working? And he goes, yeah. But, you know, you should change them every so often. Well, I wait till mine get pretty close to not working before I change them. And then I just change them. I really don't have this conversation with God about that, you know. Um, but, but there are people who are caught up. And I think deep in some people's heart, there is really a desire. I just, I don't want to miss God. I don't want to not please him. I don't, I don't want to make a mistake. I want to I be careful here, you know. But there are some, 
I think, really significant decisions that need to be made with God in mind in our lives. You know, should I go to college? Uh, if I go to college, where do I go to college? Uh, when I get there, what do I study? Um, what, in the, what am I going to do with my life? You know, what is going to be my vocation, my calling, my profession, whatever? Should I date on the way? Uh, if I date, should I then plan to get married? Should I plan to not get married? If we get married, should we have children? Should we adopt or should we just have natural children? Or, what, you know, should we buy a house? Where should we buy a house? What kind of house should we buy? How much money should we spend on a house? Uh, how much money should we be spending? Should we not be spending money and saving more money? Should we be spending more money and being more generous? The, all this stuff gets in people's heads, and, um, and, and we start to wonder, you know, like, well, what is God's will anyway? And, and how much of this should I be battling with as I go along? Now, now he, here's kind of the bad news in this thing. There are countless people. Um, by people, I mean, I mean Christians. There are countless Christians who are confused, and they're wondering, you know, how do I find God's will for my, my life? And you're probably going to encounter a lot more of those than you are those people who have found a way to understand and know God's will for your life. So if you're looking around at others, you're not going to find probably many examples of where you're going to be able to say, aha, there it is. Or, yep, that's it right there. Now I know what to do. And the reason is because it doesn't work that way. All right? I, I understand pastors who preach sermons about three, four, and five helps and steps and ways. And I understand other motivational speakers who do the same kinds of things. And I'm not saying those things are bad and you shouldn't listen to some of those kinds of things and even make application in your own life. You should. But it, when it comes down to finding the will of God for your life, it just doesn't boil down to four easy steps or three easy activities or, or whatever. All right? And so I want us to understand something about God here today, especially as we're entering into Lent and we're looking towards the cross and the resurrection. I want us to understand some things here about God, and hopefully we can pull a little nugget out today here. And so then here's the good news of what we're trying to say today, and that is that God's will is not lost. So all this mentality of, I need to find God's will. Well, we don't necessarily need to find it because it isn't lost it's not, it's not away from, from us, all right? And I hope that this can free you up just a little bit as we talk and dialogue about this because we're not living in some kind of cosmic Easter egg hunt where every so often we start to do something and we step out or we move in some direction and, 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 and then we wait and we listen and we're wanting to hear the voice of God. And he goes, warmer, warmer. You're really hot now. Oh, you're cold. You know, so, so that we're always jumping around and trying to figure out what the will of God is. Your life can't be about just hunting down the will of God, all right? That will tire you, it will exasperate you, it will frustrate you, and it will make you ineffective for what you need to accomplish with your life, all right? So we don't want you to be stalled in this kind of place. So what if God's will, let me pose this to you, what if God's will is not some secret that we need to uncover, all right? That it's out there somewhere and we just need to find it. But what if God makes his will very clear to us? What if? And then what if God is actually more passionate about you knowing his will and and what he wants you to do than him? What if this whole idea uh, uh, here that, that we're talking about of seeking God's will uh, what if that's really actually more pagan than it is spiritual? Ooh. 
What if trying to figure out the formula for discovering God's will, in doing so you're missing the whole point of your faith and of Christianity? What if God, let me pose this to you, what if God so desires for you and I to not only know His will, but to experience His will, so much so He wants that, that that is a big part of why he has invested himself in us to the point of giving his son to save us from our sins, deliver us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. And that God's redemptive work is a work of throwing us literally into his will and his plan for our lives. Could we start to look from that perspective rather than there's this elusive God who is way up there somewhere and I can't get to him, but I know he's got a plan for my, my life uh, because he has said so. I just have to find it. And so I spend my whole life just searching. My whole life is this Easter egg hunt for the will of God and, and I'm not getting it. I'm not finding it. Job said, I need a bondsman. I need someone between me and God. Job says, God is way, way, way up there. And I am a lowly man down here who who has suffered. And I need somebody. I I feel so far from him. I feel so distant from him. I I feel so far away from him because he's up there so far away from me, and I need someone who can reach him. And at the same time, they can reach down here to me, and together we can come. That is Jesus. Jesus is the great bondsman. He has come to the earth and lived a sinless life, and he has died on the cross and he was resurrected he is at the right hand of the father praying interceding for you and i what has he done jesus on the cross has brought you and god together and isn't it amazing to look at it that way that god so much wants to be in your life that he busted open earth And came down in the form of Jesus to be able to be with you. And so just maybe he wants more than anything to to share his will for your life with you. To the point that he has invested his one and only son in your life. To make sure that we do indeed accomplish his will. And I hope that will help you to sort of like breathe a sigh of relief this morning and not feel like, oh, I've got to find it and time is running out. But to be able to say, you know what, I think I might be right in it. I I think it, it might be all around me. This is the bottom line. This is the foundational truth, I think, for us. And I pray that it really does like lodge inside of our heads and our hearts this morning that God desires for us, He desires me, He desires you to follow His will so much that He lives in us now to accomplish that. He's not elusive. He's not out there somewhere. There are a lot of us who in our head know that He lives in us, but we don't live as though He's there. We live as though we've got to find Him. 
And we're spending all this time trying to find someone out there who is actually living in here, in us. Christ alive in us. And so I want to try to talk to you just a little bit about this thing of finding the will of God. I think this is important for us as a church if we're going to be finding God's will for life church as we're going forward. And we're seeking and, and, and addressing this in different ways. It's really, really important for us to understand that God is in us alive at work. And that we live out of that premise that God is here. God is working with us. We're talking about Christ in us and, and how this affects um, every facet of who we are. Um, we know Christ affects the way we think, uh, our, our mind, the way we feel, our, our emotions, uh, even our bodies. Our bodies are affected by the presence of Christ. How do we care for our bodies? How do we, how do we honor Christ with our bodies? How does Christ affect our, our, our lives uh, and our will, our decision-making, those kinds of things. These are all different facets, um, but they're not neat little categories. They're not little compartments that we can just work with here. It's not that they, they, they are so easily uh, separated or, or, or categorized, all right? Uh, they, don't, they don't necessarily uh, blend together all, all, the, all the way, all right? They're not fluid, if you, if you will, all right? And so uh, these are things that we, we are struggling with in our hearts sometimes and we're afraid to talk to other people about it. Uh, but we need to understand that, that it's through Christ that we are able to have the ability to function in His will. All right? It's through Him. It's not through your own doing. It's the same as your salvation. You can't save yourself. Jesus has saved you on the cross. That's the beauty of of the cross and the beauty of the resurrection is that you're saved by this victorious Christ. You don't you couldn't do enough works to save you, all right? And and what you do now, a lot of it of what God is asking you to do now or what God is going to ask you to do as you go forward. Some of these are things that you can't do yourself. And that affects how you view whether or not this is in the will of God. Because in your logic, in your own thinking, in your own mind, you would say, I can't do that. Or in your, your own flesh, you would say, I can't do that. Not that you can't, but the real message is, I don't want to do that. Or, I'm not going to do that. But the reality is, we have this power through Christ that allows us to do things that we cannot do ourselves. All right, Things that we wouldn't do ourselves. We are capable of them through Christ. And so we want to we live out of that understanding. We want to live out of that platform, if you will. Because all of these particular areas are areas that God may speak to us about. God may deal with us in these areas. And we need to be able to, to, to confidently lean on this reality that Christ is in us. And what I cannot do on my own, I can do through Him. All right? So let's, let's try to hold that here for a little bit. Um, in this passage in Galatians chapter 2 here, we're seeing this, this strange kind of confrontation take place between Paul and Peter here. And these are two great stalwarts of the faith, if you will. Or these are great pillars of the early church in the New Testament. And they're actually hitting heads here with each other just a little bit. And what is happening here, just to give you a little bit of background here, is that there was this group in the New Testament church, and they were called the Judaizers. Uh, and these are folks who came on the scene, if you will, and uh, they're basically, uh, they believe that you, you, you can follow Christ and, and, and it is Christ who saved you. They believe that 
totally. But you also have to follow Jewish law. All right? So they got all these, these laws and these extra things that you've got to do. So in order to be a Christian, you've also got to be circumcised. In order to be a Christian, you've got to follow the, the food and the dietary laws. You've got to do all this extra stuff uh, to, to be a Christian. All right? And so what's happening now here is that the Gentiles are coming in. That would be people like you and I. All right? And the Gentiles are coming into the faith in Christ. Uh, and they live a lot differently than the Jews live. And the Gentiles are wondering, well, what does that mean for us? What, do we have to be circumcised in order to follow Christ? Do, do we have to follow the dietary laws in order to be saved? Um, and the Judaizers are coming in and saying, yeah, you got to do that. That's exactly what you got to do. You got to do all the things that we have to do. And so you have this division, if you will. You have this conflict that is going on inside of the early church. And, and, and Peter is right in the middle of it. Now, what would happen if you were going to go sit down and and say you were a a Jewish Christian, if you will, um, and you're going to sit down at a meal with a a number of Gentile Christians, and they're going to start eating the things that you would not eat. They're against your dietary laws, if you will. All right. So that's going to put you in a quandary, right? So either, number one, you're going to eat these things, and you're going to risk violating this law of the Old Testament here, or or number two, you're going to say, I'm not going to eat with you guys anymore. And by implication in doing that, what you're saying is that you guys are not acceptable to God uh, because you're eating these things. And so you create this judgment and, and this, this rejection and this riff and all these kinds of things going on. All right. So Peter finds himself in this situation here. And so for a while, he's sitting there and he's eating this meal with these Gentiles here. Uh, but then some of these Judaizers show up and he starts to back away. And so he won't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And so... Again, by implication, he's, he's reverting back to a works-based kind of righteousness that says in order to be accepted by God, you've got to do these certain things over here and you've got to abstain from these certain things over here. And, and Paul just flat out calls him out on it. And he says, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. So, so he starts to talk to him. He starts to lodge this sort of complaint, if you will, um, and, 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 and brings this out here. And so there's sort of a check that goes on here. And, and you have to, you know, say, hey, you know, what, what is it that we need to grab from here that really anchors us, that really holds us? And I think we find it in all of this passage here. But let's just listen again to what Paul is trying to say here. Um, he's, he's saying, hey, Peter, when you came to Antioch, um, something happened. And, and, and he's telling the people that are reading this, he's saying, hey, I opposed Peter, all right? When, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he was clearly in the wrong. Paul doesn't mince words here about what he's thinking. He, he says, before certain men uh, came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when these, these men, these Judaizers arrived, he drew back and he separated himself from the Gentiles. Uh, because he was afraid. He was afraid of those people who belonged to this camp of the circumcision, this group, if you will. Uh, and the other Jews started to join him. Uh, and what it was, it was basically, it was hypocrisy. It was like you're saying one thing and you're living another. And he says, when I saw that, that, that they were acting in, in, in out like this, he said, I, I confronted this. I, I had something to say about this. And what it all boils down to is he gets down to this passage in verse 20 where he says, hey, here's what you need to understand. We've been crucified with Christ. This is what David talked to you about last week, all right? We are crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet, Christ lives in me. 
Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, now I live differently than I did before. And here's the way I live it. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the awesome message, isn't it? He loved me. He gave himself for me. Why? Because he was able to do what I could not do. He was able to do what I could not do for myself. Now, this, this beats at the head of Western mindset. This idea of I am independent, I am capable, I can do it myself, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I got it, it's mine, I own it, my way or the highway, all of that sort of stuff. This smacks against that. This says I can't do it. I'm not capable in my own ability and my own strength, my giftings, my, my abilities, my place, my stature in life. Nothing will be able to save me. I cannot do it. So it is Christ who comes and says, I can do what you cannot do. And I will do what you cannot do. And I did do what you cannot do. And that is to go to the cross and die for our sins. And so this is the one mammoth verse here in, in this passage, I think, that I want us to, to, to kind of piggyback from David's sermon is, you know, I don't want, and, and David, David said before he left, he says, now please, I, I know what you're preaching, we've talked about all of this, but just make sure they, they get it now. No pressure, David, thank you. Um, uh, just make sure they get it that, that I'm just not leaving them hanging there and saying, okay, just die. You know, just die. That's not the message. The message is die for purpose. The message is die with the understanding that there is something that is happening as you die. And the reality is you're going to continue to live, but not as you lived before. You are now living by faith. That faith is not in your own ability. It is in Christ. And so that's what makes this verse become mammoth to us, all right, is that this verse has the ability to help us and move us into transformation. If you're stuck, if you're in a rut in your life, these are the kind of places you want to camp. This is the kind of place you want to land. I love Lent. I love Easter because it's always like there's a freshness, there's a, there's a newness, there's a rebirthing, if you will. It's like another shot, another chance to just, just grab a hold of this whole idea of transformation. And so I want you this morning to see some of the truth that, that I think is kind of hidden here. Maybe we can bring it out just a little bit and then we can be on our way, all right? But there are two particular things that I want you to get from this passage right here. And the first one is this. God, Christ, gives us a new identity. You can live your old way. And you know what? You can claim to be in Christ and you can still live your old way. But if you live your old way, you're going to continue to have the same old responses and the same old results. But God, through Jesus Christ, gives you the ability to, to separate yourself to a different platform than what you were on in the past. And, and this, this is the problem. The enemy will tell you constantly, you can't change. You can't get any better. You can't do any better. There's nothing there for you and, and so he will try to hold you. He will try to paralyze you into a place. And, a, and that paralyzation is simply a rut. It's staying habitually in the same place you have always been. And, and, and one way the enemy can do that is to convince you that you cannot find the will of God. That, that, that God is elusive in some way to you. 
And so you just stay right there. And your greatest hope is that you just somehow slide into heaven. You just barely make it. And that's my whole life is going to be lived just barely making it. Then all of your decisions are about barely making it. All of your plans are about barely making it. All of your relationships are about barely making it. And that is not the way God wants you to live. God says through Christ, Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give you a life that is abundant. Abundant and barely making it. Don't, they don't sit at the same table. And so maybe it's time to switch tables and move over somewhere else where you can flourish, where you can eat the food that sustains you and gives you the ability to move in God's will for your life. That is transformation. And so we say here from this passage, I have a new identity. It's no longer me. It's no longer mine I'm, I'm not the one that's living anymore. This is, this is truth number one, guys. This is it right here. In Christ, you have this new identity. This is, is, is where Galatians 2.20 starts off. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. This is the identity that we have, all right? But, it goes on, it is Christ living in me. And, and, and this is probably the most concise picture uh, but it's a picture we, we've got all over Paul's writings in all of the New Testament about how our lives are to be united with Christ and, and everything that's Christ becomes ours and it all evolves around the cross and, 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 and that we are crucified with Christ and the cross is that one, one place where myself is united with Christ and all that he is. This is why later on in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, I boast in the cross. Which is a weird statement. That's strange. I boast in the cross. How do you boast in an instrument of torture? All right? He's not boasting in the, the instrument itself, but what it represents. He boasts in the cross because what happens at the cross makes the difference. And that is that Christ dies for you. And in that moment of death, everything changes. And I'm going to tell you something. In that moment, when you can come to the place with your own life where you can go to God and you can say, you know what, Pastor Dave is right, and I'm going to offer myself a living sacrifice right now, right here. It shifts. It changes. Because your identity becomes so much fuller, so much more complete, and so much richer in that place. And so now you boast not in yourself, Listen, folks, I'm not telling you that you can't take credit for a few things. All right? You're gifted people. You're godly people, righteous people in Christ. And you have abilities and you have giftings that God has given you. Some of you have done amazing things just even in the last days and last weeks. There's a couple of you in here that have had some personal accomplishments. And I know you're humble and, and, and you would just die if I pointed you out and, and made mention of that in, in the, the, the group in front of you. So I would not do that. But some of you have done some amazing things that are noteworthy, praiseworthy. Uh, they're newsworthy. And I commend you for that. And part of that is because of hard work. Part of that is, is because of due diligence, of giving yourself. Part of that is study and preparation. Part of that is sacrifice and laying down 
certain things that you would want to do for yourself, but you don't because you know that there's a better good or a common good that is more important and more valuable. And so you stick with things. It's about perseverance. It's about self-discipline. It's about all these kinds of things. But here's what I will say to you. Given all of that, and rightly so, you have a right to say, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a point where you must be willing to make that shift and say, you know what? It is not me, though. It is Christ in me. Otherwise, you're going to limit yourself to what you physically and mentally can do on your own which I'm gonna, I contend is still only by the grace of God. You are still under a sovereign and holy God. All right? He lifts kings up and he takes kings down. And you can convince yourself that you did it your way all you want to. And you and Sinatra can go sing all you want to somewhere. But you can't do it in the house of God. You can't do it among your brothers and your sisters because you just don't get to do it your way in the kingdom of God. That is not possible, all right? So it is His way. And, and so Christ lives through us and this becomes our identity, all right? So our boast is there and that's where we land. That's where we, where we live. So I want you to think about that and, and, and let me just talk to you for, for a few minutes here about this whole wonderful exchange that happens at the cross, all right? And so as we're going into Lent here, I I want you to fix your eyes on the cross. I want you to stay right there. I know we're going in the Old Testament and we're going to look at covenants, but we can look at covenants and look at the cross. We can look at covenants and look at resurrection. We can look at covenants and look at faithfulness and all these kinds of things, okay? So we're, we're, we're headed to the cross here, all right, all the way through. There's something amazing that happened at the cross and, and, and the unity that we have in Christ that happened there is outstanding, all right? So what happens at the cross? First of all, at the cross, I give Jesus my sin. I give Christ my sin. He gives me his righteousness. Great exchange. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? Yeah. Look at you. You are. You have become. This is part of your identity. You are the righteousness of God. Not because you always behave that way, but it's a done deal through Christ. And so that's the exchange that has been made. This sinfulness of your life has already been given to God through Jesus Christ, and he's dealt with it and taken care of it, all right? So at the cross, we give all that we are, all of our sin, all of the bad things we've done, not only the bad things, but also the, 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 the good things, if you will, that still don't measure up, all right? We give all of that to God, all right? Even, even our tears of repentance when we are sad about what we've done, all of that, that, that brokenness, that, that kind of place, it needs to be given to to God, or it needs to be given over and covered by the blood of Christ, all right? So we give it all to him. We give everything to him, all right? So then we know, uh, what, what does he give to us at that point? He clothes us in righteousness. Get this, spotless righteousness. It's complete. It's done. 
we stand before God and we are righteous, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, I consider the best thing in my life to be rubbish. Some translations say, I, can, I consider it to be dung. In other words, it's animal feces, all right? I consider, I consider my best thing, my most righteous thing, I consider that to be like dung compared to knowing Christ, being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. See, here's the thing about our own stuff and when we rely on our own, quote, righteousness, is that mess stinks. When it's, you ever been around someone that's just always only about them and, and their accomplishments? It gets old after a little while, doesn't it? All right? The, the key here is that we understand that it's not about what I can or cannot do. I'm confident in all of you that you, there are many, many things that you can do. But we will all do so much more together and in Christ than any one of us can do alone and without Him. All right? So it's about this idea of, of us coming together, being made in His righteousness. All right? Um, not only do we give Him our sin and He gives us His righteousness, but I give Him my slavery and He gives me His freedom. I give him my slavery. He gives me his freedom. This is a, this, this, the whole picture that we have in the New Testament. We are slaves to the law. We're slaves to ourselves. We're slaves to the flesh. And, and this is what he's saying in verse 19 is, is, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. All right? At the cross, we give Jesus our slavery to the law. Uh, we give him our slavery to ourselves, our own, our own bodies and our flesh, if you will. And he gives us freedom to live for God. So we're free from the guilt of the law. You're not going to measure up. There's no list you're going to measure up to, all right? So you're free from the, from the guilt of the law. You're free from the shame of the law. You're free from the judgment of the law. You're free to live. I give him my slavery. He gives me his freedom. At the cross, I give him my defeat. He gives me his victory. It's not that the law is a bad thing in and of itself, folks. Please understand that. I'm not saying that, okay? The only problem is I can't live up to the law. And I'm not anything special or better than any of you, but my hunch is if I can't, by mere fact that I'm a human and you're a human, you can't live up to it either. All right? And so I'm going to just confess that for all of us. We cannot live up to the law. All right? It's not a bad thing, but we can't live up to it. There's no one who does, all right? And, and, and this is what he says in Romans chapter, chapter 8. He says, God condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So, so we can actually fulfill the law through Christ, not, not ourselves. He gives us the victory over the law. This is why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, listen to this. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through our works, through our efforts, through what we do. But it's only through Jesus Christ. So I give him my defeat. Especially when it comes out in the law. And he gives me all his victory. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I am a man. I am a part of humanity. I am frail. Like the Apostle Paul, I am a sinner. I am chief among all of you in terms of sinning. So if I had to come in here... And, and preach to you and teach you under that heaviness, I would not be able to do it. 
I don't stand here because I'm able to, to overcome myself. I stand here because I am an overcomer through Jesus Christ. That is the only way I can talk to you this way. That's the only way I can speak to you and encourage you and challenge you in this way. This is the only way I can pastor you in this church and come along beside you and cry with you and hurt with you and, and, and love you and encourage you and, and coach you and all of these things is because I understand this place that we all find ourselves. And here's what I want you to understand. You and I cannot be in the place of judgment. And this is the other trade-off on the cross is that I give him my judgment and he gives me his mercy. Third chapter of Romans, no, no one will be declared righteous in God, not by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous in, 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 in his sight. The whole world will be held accountable to God. You and I stand under the judgment of God for our sin. But, but thank God he gave Christ at the cross to take that judgment upon himself. And we give him our judgment. And uh, that's what the cross is about. So he pours out his mercy on you. He pours out his mercy on me. We get that through the cross, through the resurrection of, of Jesus uh, so I can just give that over to him. And finally, as I do that, then I give him my death. And he gives me his life. So we go a little further in Romans there. In Romans chapter 6, it says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. All right? So this is, this is the power of the cross here. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead... He can't die again. Death no longer has this power or this mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. All right? But the life he lives, he lives to God. That is Christ in us. We are living to God because we have Christ in us. All right? So here we come back to David's message in, in uh, Romans 12. And we say, hey, I can do this. I can present my body a living sacrifice. I can die in that sense. In that even though I die, I'm living. Yet it is not me that is living. It is Christ through me. And so the great exchange that happens at the cross is taking all of who we are and the implications of all of that. Jesus is taking all that upon himself. And as he takes all of that, it becomes his. He gives us all that he is that we may live but it's not us living it is him living through us and so therefore he gives us a completely new identity all right so this is where you live now you live in this place of being in christ and christ living through you all right this is a powerful powerful place this is where we need to land because here's why i want you to understand some some things about yourself the enemy in this earth and even some of your friends will try to tell you who you are and what you can and cannot do. And when they open that book, whatever that book is, and they start reading from that book, which, okay, understand, there isn't a book. Okay, all right. But when they go to that book and they start reading from that book and all these lies in that book, you know, you, you don't just sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I know, oh, I know, yeah, you're right. No, no. You have to go over to that person 
and you have to pick up that book, all right? That imaginary book, all right? So when that person has their imaginary book, and they're reading all this stuff to you, and they're coming down on you, and all of these judgments, and all of these accusations, and all of these lies, and all of, of, of these paralysis-type messages are coming at you, you got to go over there and say, I love you, brother, but I'm not going to believe that book. What is wrong with you? But you don't stop. You see, it's not, you don't get mad with the person, because your battle's not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. You don't have a battle with anybody. You're not fighting people in this, this, this thing's going on. You just say, hey, I got something for you and me. I want to tell you who you are. I want to tell you who you are in Christ. That's why I'm up here, folks. This is why I'm here with you today, to tell you who you are, to say there is a plan for your life. There is a place for you. There are things that you can do that no one else can do. They're in your plan that God has for you. They're God's will for your life, and you need to hold on to that. But you're going to find that in Christ and not in any other way. And so if you're striving and you're trying to do it on your own, get out of that place, shut that old book, And come in here to the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. And if you will die, he will live through you. And if he lives through you, it is to the glory of God. It is his righteousness that is at work through you. As we make decisions, as we go forward, folks, please understand, we will never move away from Christ. He is our model. He is is everything. And so we look to him to shape us and to fashion us and to form us, to give us life and to give us direction, to give us hope, a future, and plans, to give us the power to do the things that we cannot do ourselves, but we do them because He is alive through us. All right? That's where we land. And as we go forward as Life Church, that's where we're going to stay. We're going to walk that way. Okay? So I want to encourage you today that you are living out of this reality that you are dead if you have done what Pastor Davis challenged you to do, and I hope that you have, that we all have, if you are a dead person, you are still alive, but it is not you that is living. It's Christ that is living through you. And the promise of God's Word is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So God's will can often seem like a mystery to us. Um, but, uh, but in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that God's will has been made known in Jesus Christ. And in his very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter uh, said to the crowds in front of him that um, this man, Jesus, was the man sent by God. And um, God uh, revealed that to us by the way he gave Jesus the power to do signs and wonders, by the way Jesus taught us about who God was, that Jesus was attested to as God's uh, God's. Messiah, and that it was God's will that Jesus die on the cross for our sins in, in our place, that he uh, take our punishment on, on himself, and then that it was God's will that he raise Jesus up from the dead and that he be the one who is living forevermore. And so if you want to be in the middle of God's will, um, you know, Pastor Bill has said it very clearly, that dying to Christ means that you put your life in the hands of the one who is alive forevermore, Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that today, if you've never done that before and you want to do that today, I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come up now. Um, please uh, come up and pray with uh, one of these folks who's going to be up here and, um, and find 
life in the one who has life in himself, and that is Jesus. And if anyone else needs prayer for anything, please feel, feel free to come up. So if the prayer teams want to come up, uh, please do. Uh, the rest of you feel free to make your way out and uh, enjoy some fellowship.